you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 is where we are going to look at uh, of what I would call the, cru- the true Christmas story. There are many different Christmas stories floating around out there, <laughs> but I, I would call this the true Christmas story. And by the way, um, if you're on my email list, this morning I sent you um, kind of the order of the passages of the, the true Christmas story. I, I remember when I uh, first, I guess when Nora was maybe two years old or something, I was like, okay, I'm going to read her the Christmas story. And I'm like, oh, you kind of got to like flip back and forth between Matthew and Luke to actually do the Christmas story. And so I was trying to figure that out. So I went ahead and sent that to you. We did that this morning, actually. We knew that tomorrow morning on actual Christmas Day, things, we hit the ground running uh, with other family and stuff. And so this morning, we've already done the Christmas story and talked about it as a family and and what it all means for us. And so I would encourage you to do that. I I sent that in an email uh, this morning of just the the order there. You know, it's interesting because Christmas, you know, when we think about it and we get those, those warm, fuzzy feelings thinking ahead about Christmas, because it's, it's a time of, of, of good food and, and sweets. It's a time of, of giving and generosity and caring for one another. It's a time of, of family and fun and, and, and just all of these great things. That is what we think about with Christmas. But if we're honest... If we're honest with ourselves and we think back on Christmas's past, we know that Christmas actually has the ability to bring out the worst in us. I mean, it, it does. I mean, these are, by the way, like not just Christians recognize this, that uh, the, the, the Christian, sorry, the Christmas season can be one of the most stressful, anxiety-inducing, and, and even greatest times for conflict. And so, you know, you think about it. Especially moms, I think this is this one's true with, uh, but but it happens with everyone, I think. But may, maybe by the time Christmas gets here, you're so stressed out by all the planning, preparing, producing, cooking, cleaning, recleaning, right? Especially if you got kids, recleaning. That by the time Christmas gets here, you are more like a rabid raccoon than a happy elf, right? And and we've all seen this and we've all experienced this. Just ah. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I thought you just wanted a hug, you know. Uh, and so that's kind of how things can go a little bit. Or, or maybe, and this happens especially with children, but I still see it in myself 35 years in, maybe we spend so much time looking at and thinking about what we want for Christmas, what gifts we want, or maybe what experiences we want to have throughout this Christmas season. And we're, we're thinking, about me, 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 me. And so maybe we start acting more like Christmas robbers than Christmas carolers. You know, it's all about me, what I can get. I want to take from this season. It's mine. And again, we think about it with kids, how true this is. You spend all this time planning and preparing. You get the gifts you know that they'll love. And then what do kids spend the afternoon on Christmas doing? Fighting, bickering, being rebellious, breaking the stuff that you just bought them. Like, I mean, you're like, you're robbing. You're you're making it all about you. But it's not just kids that do this. I'll I'll tell you right now. Uh, We all can be Christmas robbers. Or maybe, you know, you're excited about getting all the family together. And it's, oh, it's going to be so sweet. The aunts and uncles will come in town. Maybe the kids are, you know, live out of town and they're coming in. And, you know, um, but when they get all together, they're so much, they're so unkind, impolite, and, and downright rude and annoying, maybe, that you, in response to them, start acting more like a schoolhouse bully than, than, than buddies with all your family and friends together. You start pushing them around because they're being unkind. We respond in those ways. Or maybe, You've been burned so many times in the past that even as you think about the Christmas season coming up, you think, ha, we're probably just not going to even get invited to Christmas stuff. These people will probably say they're going to come and then at the last minute pull out, even though we prepared, we, you know, we put a place at our table for them. Or, or maybe, you know, I, I, people know what gift I want, but they're not going to get it for me anyway. So we start acting more like the Grinch than Cindy Lou Who, you know, saying, This is what they're probably going to do, and so here is how I'm going to treat them. 
And so Christmas really does have the ability to make us act in crazy ways. And, you know, and when the dust all settles, everyone's left looking at us like, what in the world are you doing? Have you lost your mind? You're a rabid raccoon. You're a bully. You know, you're, you're, you're more, more like the Grinch. You're just all these things. It's just like, this is supposed to be the season of merriment and joy and peace and giving and generosity. And somehow it gets flipped on its head. Now, I would say this, th- th- these things are all true no matter what season of the year it is, that we, we act in ways we should not act, we respond in ways we should not respond, we are more self-focused than we ought to be. And so I would ask the same question that these friendly people are asking, what in the world is going on with us? Why, why do we act in these ways, and specifically around the Christmas season, how can we become such Grinches and robbers? How can that happen? You know what I think the answer to that question is, to what happened? Here, here's what I think happens in my heart and in your heart when we, when we act in these ways, whether it be the Christmas season or not. Here's what I think happens. It's going to sound cliche, but, but hang on with me. We have forgotten the true reason for the season. You say, no, 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 no. I, I reject all the consumerism. I reject all the fanciful stories about big men coming down my chimney. I reject that and I focus on the true reason for the season. I'd say, you kind of sound like a Grinch the way you just said all that. But I would say, secondly, that's, that's theoretically, that's what you believe out. Like, yeah, I, this is what I believe. That's how you would answer it on a test I believe the true reason for this season is Christ Jesus coming into this world. But I would say practically, no, that's not what you believe. No, that is not what you are thinking on. No, that is not what you are letting your heart and your life and your actions and your reactions be shaped by. You're not, and I'm not. When I act in these ways that are contrary to the gospel, I am living as though the reason for the season is what I can get out of it and is about these plans and these events because that's what happened. When we set our hope on on things, material things making me happy, when I set my hope on people and relationships making me happy, when I set my hope on events making me happy, I will be let down and I will act like a fool. I will act like a non Christian who doesn't believe the gospel and has forgotten the true reason for the season. This is what happens. This is what has happened so many times in my life. And again, I'm not just talking about Christmas here, but but it definitely seems to uh, come, come to a fever pitch around the Christmas season because you have higher expectations. You have relationships in closer proximity, which has greater opportunity to clash these are, this is a, just a, a great case study in our lives to see that we have forgotten the gospel. We have forgotten the true meaning of Christmas in practical ways. And so what I want us to do this morning is to have that angelic joy. We're going to look at the, the age-old story of the, the angels coming to the shepherds and how they responded, what, what they saw that the, the season was to be about So if you're in your Bible, Luke chapter 2, I'm actually going to start in verse 4, even though the shepherd's scene doesn't happen until verse 8, but I'm going to start in verse 4 just so we have our full context here, and you can uh, read along with me on the screen or or in your Bibles. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, it says this, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So Joseph and Mary, uh, Mary's pregnant, they, they, they go to uh, Bethlehem together. And while they were, there, they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Because there was no place for them in the inn. But verse 8, we kind of shift scenes. Skip forward, yep. Verse 8, we shift scenes. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day is born, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. A manger is, of course, a feeding trough for animals. So that, that would be unusual. Verse 13. And suddenly there, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. That is God's word. That is the true Christmas story. Let's go to the Lord one more time in prayer before we get going. Uh, Father God, we just want to right now confess to you that we often live as though the gospel is not true. We often live as though Christmas is nothing more than receiving gifts and, and having family to over and, and eating food and, and finding our enjoyment in those things and finding our identity in those things. And God, we, we confess that because of that, because we have forgotten the true reason of Christmas, the true story of Christmas, because of that, we often live in ways that, that do not reflect your glory. They do not show the glory of the gospel true, ringing true in our lives. And so, God, we pray that we can learn from this passage. Certainly, we've all heard this or read this many times, but God, we want to hear it fresh today to help us see uh, what it is we should set our hope on, God. And I pray that you would do this to your glory, for our good, and the good of others, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So what can we learn from this angelic scene 2,000 years ago that can help us have, have peace and joy and, and live as though the gospel is true? What can we learn uh, to not only live this way in the Christmas season, but all other seasons and all other days of the year as well. Well, here, here's the first principle I want to give you from, from this uh, angelic story. First, don't minimize your problems, but celebrate God's solution. Don't minimize your problems, but celebrate God's solution. Because when I, when I think about this... Um, the reality is, like, in a season like this or any time of your life, there, there is reason for stress. Like, there, there is reason for anxiety. There is reason for disappointment. Like, I don't think that we should deny that reality. I don't think we should even minimize the reality of, of the pain and the frustration and the hurt and the relational conflicts and, and, and unfulfilled desires that we might have. I don't think minimizing that is, is all that helpful but what I do think we need to do is to celebrate God's solution. And, and one of the things I think we need to do to help us to not minimize the problem, but to celebrate God's solution, is first, as we think about the problem, we need to see how deep it really is. Because we, we think we got problems because we had to clean and clean and clean, and then it all got dirty again before everyone came over. We think we got problems because we didn't get that gift we so badly wanted. We think we've got problems because maybe two people, or maybe we're involved, don't get along as well uh, together as we'd hope. We think we got problems, and, and the Bible doesn't deny those problems, but here's what the Bible actually does. 
The Bible shows us that not only do you have those problems, you got bigger problems. That's what the Bible shows us. And, and, and I want to show you this uh, from, from our story here with the angels. And first I'll just uh, reread to you verses 9 to 11, and then we'll kind of dig in. It says, you know, the shepherds are out in the, out in the field, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Like, that's no small thing. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so what I want to show you right now is that Rather than minimizing the problems that we might have, what, what we just saw there in verses 9 through 11 actually maximizes. It shows how deep our problems really go, how serious and severe our problems really are. And so I want to show you that uh, in these verses. And, and so you can follow along in your notes. I have these in there if you want to follow along there. But here's the first way I see it. The shepherds feared the glory of the Lord. This is the first problem that should jump out to us. Uh, the shepherds feared the glory of the Lord. So we see that first, you know, the angel uh, appears to them. But then it says, <clears throat> the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were fi filled with great fear. You, you know what's really interesting about this? I, I told you I did the, uh, the, the biblical, the true Christmas story with my kids this morning. This morning, I read this to my kids. I said, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great. And I said, what, what were they filled with? And, and they both said, joy. And I said, they, they got it, honestly. Like, my kids just perceived one of the greatest truths, that an angel from the Lord has just appeared to these shepherds. The glory of the Lord is shining around them. And my kids understand, you know what should happen when an angel from God comes and the glory of God is shining on them? They should be filled with great joy. This should be the most beautiful and astounding moment of their lives up to this point. They should be filled with awe and wonder and worship. They should have joy in their hearts. And I, and I said to my kids, no, that's, that's not what they were filled with. They were filled with great fear. When the glory of the Lord shone around them, when this messenger from God came to them, rather than saying, oh, here we are, yes, what, 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 how can we do? No, they were shuddering in terror at the glory of the Lord and, this, and the Lord's messenger being there with them. Uh, uh, now the Bible, this happens, this is a pretty common pattern in the Bible for people to be afraid when an angel shows up. And so I want to, you know, uh, I'm not saying these shepherds are alone in this, but that's the point. The point is humanity in our fallen state, we cannot bear, we are terrified of the glory of the Lord. The thing that is to be our highest delight, our highest comfort, our highest joy brings us terror. Now, this has been the pattern since Genesis chapter 3, that humankind, uh, that, that when God comes, comes to us, who, who we're supposed to find our relationship and our satisfaction, our identity in him, we go running. I, I want to show you this, Genesis 3, uh, chapter, verses 8 to 10. And they, Adam and Eve, this is right after they sinned, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you come I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. Again, we like if I were reading that to the, my, my kids and I say they heard they heard God coming in the garden. You know, what, what and and I was they'd say happy. Yes. That is the way it is supposed to be when the God who created us, God Almighty, God All-Glorious, when he shows up, we should go running to him. But instead, Adam and Eve were afraid. They run from him. They hid from him rather than running to him. This reveals a great 
problem that the shepherds feared the glory of the Lord. This reveals a great problem in us that innate with us because of our sin nature and because we agree with our sin nature and commit sin. We turn our backs on God and do what he has commanded us not to do. We have worshiped things other than God. We run from God. We fear the God who is to be our satisfaction and delight. So that's the first place I see this not minimizing our problems, but maximizing our problems. The second place I see it is this. The status of the Savior proves the problem. So that the angels say, you know, fear not. I bring you good news of great joy for unto you is born this day. And I have it up on the screen. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, the very fact that there is a Savior, you see that the first line I underlined the word, uh, the words a Savior. When you, when you need a Savior, what does that tell you? It tells you you're in trouble, right? Like there's no need for a Savior if there is not a problem needing solved. And so the very fact that these angels are proclaiming there is a Savior that has come to you. There's a Savior for you this day that will be for all the people there's a Savior, shows that there is a problem. Not only that, we see the next words in it, a Savior who is Christ. So Christ is one of those words that most of us have heard, but we have no idea what it means. Um, the most wooden translation of that word Christ would be anointed one, anointed one. And the idea there is, this is the anointed one of God, the Savior sent and anointed by God to do the saving. And so this is a Savior who is Christ. He is the anointed one sent from God. Now think about it again. When, you, when, when there's a Savior, when there has to be a Savior coming, you know there's a problem. When that Savior has to be sent and anointed by God, you know you're in some real serious trouble. You know, the problem is extremely severe when God himself has to send a savior into the world, this anointed one. This is what we have coming and what the, the angels are announcing, a savior who is Christ. But it goes even deeper. It goes even more astounding and it shows an even deeper depth of trouble. A savior who is Christ the Lord. What does that mean? Now, Lord, sometimes in the New Testament, just means master. He's the Lord of the household or whatever. But two times in this passage already, this word Lord has been used. This, the Greek word is kurios. It says uh, in verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. It's not talking about an angel of the master of the house. That's talking about Yahweh God. The way the Old Testament used that word Lord, Yahweh. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. Then... And the glory of the Lord shone around them. So two times you have this word, kurios, Greek word for Lord being used, that it is 100% undeniably being used of Yahweh God. I am who I am. And so we come down to the next verse. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Why? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I don't think we're supposed to expect that it has all of a sudden shifted. Like, what would that even mean for this, ba this baby to be the master? He's the master of the house. Like, what, is, what does that even mean? And, I mean, I guess in a sense, Yahweh God is the master of all the universe, but I don't think we should limit it there. This is clearly, and by the way, in the context of the New Testament, I don't even have to make that argument that I've just made. This is clearly, without a doubt, Christ the Lord, meaning this is a savior. This is the anointed one from God. This is God. Do you get that? Here's the depth of the problem. There's a savior that has to come, which means there's a problem. That savior is coming from God. He's the anointed one, which means the problem is real serious. And this savior is God. That means the problem could not be any more serious, any more severe. God is not sending an angel to fix the problem. Do you get that? Like an angel comes to these shepherds, but the angel and the heavenly host, they are not the saviors. Why? The problem is too great. 
The angels cannot solve it. This has to be an angel who is sent from God, just like the angel messengers. This has to be a savior who is sent from God, uh, sent from God, just like the angel messengers, but it also has to be God. This savior must be God. And, and I just want to kind of tie this together. Well, then what is the problem? The problem is not the things that you want that you cannot get. The problem is not the cleaning that you have to do over and over and the planning and the preparing and not having four ovens in your kitchen. That is not your biggest problem. The problem is not the family bickering and even the family members that don't come, uh, come around. Like, those are not our deepest problems. They are real problems and we should not minimize them, but we should see our greatest problem, which is in each and every one of us, and that is sin. That thing that brought fear upon the shepherds in the presence of the glory of the Lord, sin. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is our greatest problem, is that we are at enmity with God. You know that word, enmity? That means we have made ourselves against God, and God has made himself against us. That's enmity. Like, there, there's this clash, this constant clash. And so what we do, because we are weak, we are not Yahweh God, is we, we hide, we cower, we fear, we run from this great God of glory. And we might set ourselves up as God as a, a replacement, but ultimately we are filled with fear and anxiety. And this is often what makes us go crazy. And I would say all other dysfunctions flow from that problem of sin, of our rebellion against God, of our enmity with God, our relational problems, the, the problems of our desires, our longings for things other than God, our expectations for, for people and relationships and, and uh, experiences to make us happy. All of that is a result, an effect, an, a, a production of this sin in us. And so we should not minimize the problem in this Christmas season or any other time. We should see problems in our lives as they really are, but only as pointers to our greatest problem of sin against a just and holy and glorious God. This is where we are, and the angels do not deny it. They do not minimize the problem, but the angels also do that second part. They celebrate God's solution. And this is true celebration of, of, of something great happening. Like it, you celebrate it even more when you come from the pits. When, when, when you are in despair, when you are in the shadow of darkness. It makes the light, it makes the solution, it makes the Savior all that much more worthy of celebration. And that's exactly what we see here with this uh, angel, and then with the heavenly host. They, they, they show the problem. You're afraid of the glory of God. You need a Savior. You need a Savior sent by God. You need a Savior who is God. But with that, there is, that is also the solution. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then I love, I, I put it on the screen there, um, what the heavenly host says there, verse 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Remember the definition of enmity that was we are set against God and he is set against us. Enemies, warring, battling, clashing. But here we see in this Savior, the heavenly multitude is telling us, in this Savior, both of those sides of the problem will be solved. Glory to God in the highest. What that means at the most base level, I mean, we're talking, there's much bigger levels, but at the most base level, it means in some way, this Savior is going to make rebel sinners able to worship and glorify God once again, rather than reject him, rather than rebel against him, rather than run away from him, they will give glory to God in the highest. Is that good news, friends? 
that you can give glory to God in the highest rather than run or rebel or reject him. Glory to God in the highest. That's from our end, but then look at the other end. And on earth, so looking down from God's view, peace among those with whom he is pleased. That is, in some way, this Savior is not only changing us in the way we are related to God, but the way God is relating to us. Whereas we were his enemies, whereas we were under his justice and under his holy wrath and punishment, he now wants to pour out peace, harmony. And by the way, I I don't want to spend too long here, but in the Hebrew world, this word peace does not mean an absence of conflict. It, like that's just the very beginning. It, it means not only is there not conflict, is there not warring, but there is harmony. There is relational uh, uh, meshing and, and interweaving. That's peace, this shalom you, you hear uh, in the Hebrew, shalom. So you have glory to God in the highest. We get to give God glory. We get to to honor him with our hearts and with our lives, with our words, with everything. We get to do that finally instead of running away from him. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. We can, God pours out this peace. He's made peace with us. We can have relationship. We can have harmony. Not just absence of fighting. Not just absence of running away. But bringing us into his presence. It does no good to minimize the problem. (laughs) Acknowledge the problems in your life. Acknowledge them. Recognize that they are pointing to the greater problem of sin and how it has broken this world and our own little worlds. But celebrate God's solution because of it. He has sent a Savior. He is from God and he is God. He will help us. He will change us to be giving glory to God in the highest. And God giving us peace, this shalom, this harmony, this relationship with God. This is the most amazing gift ever. I, I honestly don't want to stop there because I'm going to remind you that, that Christmas was only the precursor to the cross. Jesus was born and laid in a manger, so that's his cradle, but the cradle was just his path to the cross because Jesus grew up, he lived a perfect life, he lived a perfect life before God, before men, zero sin, but then he's put to death on a cross, where on that cross, the punishment for our sin, the thing that made enmity between us and God, the thing that made separation between us and God, the thing that made us fear God, Jesus took that upon himself On the cross, he bore it all. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cried out on the cross. He did that in our place for our sin. And then on the third day, he rose from the grave. He had defeated sin and death. This is what Jesus accomplished. This is how he transforms our hearts into those who give God the glory in the highest and on those who are receiving peace. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the greatest gift ever. This is God's solution to our great problem of sin. And I do want to mention this. Ultimately, this will be the final solution for all of our problems. That forgiveness, that salvation, that eternal life, yes, we get it. That relationship with God, yes, we get it. But there will come a day where there is no more inordinate desires in our lives to have that that falling of expectation or that thing that fails us that we thought would make us happy no longer will relation human relationships clash there will be perfected there will be harmony and no longer even will our our inner selves war against us our self-hatred our self-loathing All things will be made new. All things will be made right because of this Savior. And so that is an objective reality. You understand that? Like, this is is true. This is the way it is. This is the true Christmas story. This is what truly happened on Christmas. Later, that's truly what happened on Easter, that he really bore our sins and then rose from the grave, accomplishing this great salvation. And he brings us peace. 
That's the objective reality. But my question today is, how can we, how can you and I experience that objective reality both now and forevermore? How can we experience that? How can we have peace with God? How can we pursue peace with those around us? And how can we even experience inner peace? Well, the shepherds will show us the answer in this story. And so this is number two uh, in your notes. We've seen that we don't minimize the problem, but we celebrate the solution. Well, now I'm saying, how do we receive that solution? Number two, we must respond like the shepherds. We must respond like the shepherds. You say, oh, but it just sounds so difficult. It sounds like I've got to figure out this Rubik's Cube of spiritual gymnastics. I'm mixing metaphors here, but I'm just trying to, I mean, like we, we, we overcomplicate things. Please understand, these are shepherds. They are the definition of untrained men. And in Jewish society, a shepherd was about as low as you could get. That, that they weren't allowed to vote, they weren't allowed to, or, or not, not vote, uh, sorry, they weren't allowed to testify as a witness in court because they were so untrustworthy, they, they, were, so, they were just such simple men that they weren't uh, allowed to do these things. And so I just want to tell you, it's so easy that even a shepherd can do it. What that means is that you can respond in the same way these shepherds responded. You can experience God's peace, God's joy. You can glorify God with your heart, with your life, both now and forevermore. And so I want to show you how the shepherds did it. First, in your notes, believe in the good news. Believe in the good news. I want you to understand, we, we all need this so bad, and, and our neighbors need to hear this, and our friends and our family need to hear this. The good news does you absolutely no good if you don't believe it. None. Jesus, God the Son, stepped down from his throne on high, stepped into our world as a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He lived that perfect life. He died that sacrificial death on the cross. He rose from the grave victorious. And none of that means anything if you don't believe it nothing. You can go to church your whole life. You can hear the story over and over and over. But if you don't embrace it, if you don't cling to it as your only hope, it means absolutely nothing for you. It becomes actually bad news. Because Jesus says in, in John 3, like this is the condemnation, that, that, that the light has come to the world, but, the men, but, the, but men have hated the light and loved the darkness because their deeds were evil. That, that's what he's saying. Like, this is the condemnation that you didn't believe on me. It is actually bad news not to believe in the good news. But let's see this with the shepherds. Verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, so the angel, the single angel, gave his proclamation of here's the, this baby born Christ, the Lord, uh, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Then they sang the song, glory to God in the highest peace on earth. And then it says here, when they went to heaven, uh, went into heaven, um, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Think about the wording there. They didn't say, let's go see if this has happened, right? They didn't say, let's go investigate this to see if, if that, that angel's telling the truth. No, they said, Let's go see this thing that has happened, which the Lord, which Yahweh God has made known to us. They believed it. Whether or not they ever even found this baby laying in a manger, they believed it. They knew this thing has happened. A Savior has been born today. Christ the Lord has entered our world today. They believed it. They believed this message was from God and so I want to say the same thing to you today. You may have heard this gospel story so many times, but the question is, do you believe the message is really from God? Is, is this just Jeff's idea? Is this just your parents' idea? Those, the, oh, those religious folk, you know, they've got their, their little fairy tale. Yeah, no, actually this is from God. This is a message that God has sent us. This gospel, this good news of great joy is from God and it is the most 
real reality in all the universe, do you believe it? You will remain at enmity with God, you against him and him against you. And I got to tell you, it's not going to really work out very well, you against God. You will remain at enmity with God if you do not believe in the good news. Because that's what Jesus says, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. They believed in the good news. And so I urge you today, if you have not believed in this good news of what Christmas is really all about, what the cross is really all about, if you have not believed it as a reality, as an act of God, today can be the day of salvation. Today can be the day that you are at peace with God, that your sins are wiped away, that you are given a new heart and a new mind that loves God, that pursues God, that worships God. That can happen today because of this good news from the, the angels. Not the good news, actually, is because Jesus is that good news. Believe in the good news. But it goes further because many of us have believed in this good news. And I truly believe that, you know, and I, even myself, I, I know I've believed in this good news. I know I have a new heart and I know I have a new mind. I know that I'm at peace with God. I know that up here, but sometimes I don't know it in here. And so I want, I want to give you this next point that we see from the shepherds. Act on the good news. Act on the good news. What I mean by that is live as though the gospel is true. Don't just believe the gospel is true. Live and think and, and act as though the gospel really is true. These shepherds are out watching their flocks by night, right? But they've got a job to do. It's the middle of the night. Like, this isn't the time for travel. Verse 16 because they believed it was true, let us see this thing that has happened that the Lord has made known to us. Verse 16, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. There's two things I want to point out here. Number one, they act on it. Like they, they get up and go. They, 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 they live their life as though this good news of great joy is true. And immediately God confirms that it was true. You remember what the angel said up here? He said, um, oh man, I got to find it. And this will be a sign for you, he says. Oh man. Oh, okay, verse 12. And this will be a sign for you, that this is true. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Again, a very unusual scene there. <clears throat> This will be a sign for you. And they act on the good news. They went with haste. And what happened? And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. They acted on the truth. And God confirmed the truth. And I will tell you, that will happen in your life. When you begin to live as though the gospel is real. When you begin to live as though things will not satisfy you. I know you're excited about the Christmas presents or whatever. I get it. When you, but when you believe that that does not possess the power to satisfy you and you live as though it doesn't have the power to satisfy you, you will find the gospel confirmed in your own life. You will taste and see that the Lord is good and far better than this junk that will be in the trash by next year. When you live as though relationships are not human human relationships are not there to be your god to be your satisfaction when you live as though yes they are important relationships are important but they are not my god i will pour in i will pursue peace i will do my best but i'm not going to look for my identity i'm not going to look for my satisfaction i'm not going to look for my joy in those relationships when you begin to live that way you'll find that God is coming alongside you, that he is your highest and greatest relationship, that he is your satisfaction and joy. And we could say the same thing about the events and about the nostalgia, whatever. When you begin to live as though your plans, your purposes are not God and are, were never meant to satisfy you, but that God was, he will satisfy your hearts. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your hearts. They went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Act on the good news, friends. Act on the good news, and that is how you begin to taste that peace from God. That is how you begin to give God glory in the highest. But there's even more we can do here. 
if this news is true, the next thing we see the, the uh, shepherds do, share, <clears throat> share the good news. Share the good news. I have learned in my own life that if I have good news, something I'm excited about, like it's almost painful good news until I get to tell other people about it. Um, I tried to call Dave yesterday, Dave Hawkins, right? And Eric and Judy had already grabbed a hold of him. So he's like, hey, I'll call you back later. Uh, I've, got, I've got the Battelles here. And so I called, I, I, I talked to Dave. The only reason I wanted to talk to Dave is God has been doing such wonderful things in my life, answering remarkable prayers, prayers that I never thought could be answered, certainly not in the ways they were answered. God has answered these prayers. And I'm just like, I got to tell somebody. Hallie's already heard it, but man, I've, like, I've got to let her like, do the kids and do the family. Like, I just want to tell somebody. And so I'm like, man, I haven't talked to Dave in a little while. And so I called Dave, and he and I talked for, you know, 30, 40 minutes. And I'm just telling him, man, and then God did this. And then, like, you know, six months ago, I was praying for this. And, but it was like a pie-in-the-sky dream. Like, there's no way God could fulfill this. And then God has now done this. You know, like, and I'm getting to tell Dave. And the joy is there because I get to tell it. And I, I see this with, with the shepherds. When they go, they, they were never told, by the way, go and tell them what I told you. The, the, the angels never told the shepherds to share, but here's what happened. When they saw it, when they saw this baby lying in the manger, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. They couldn't help but share. This is good news of great joy our greatest, deepest, most severe, hopeless problems have been solved. This is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He's here. And they could not help but share it with all those that were around them. And, and I just want to urge you, friends, if this gospel is true. By the way, the word gospel is that word good news. Like that's just, that's what the word means. Gospel means good news. If the gospel is true, if it really is God's greatest solution for our deepest problem, how can we help but share this good news? I mean, don't we want this joy completed in us? Don't we want to share that joy with them? Don't you want them to have that good news of great joy? Don't you want them to glory, give glory to God in the highest? Don't you want them to have peace from God that is only obtained by believing on this Jesus? We share this good news. And, and I'm telling you, just once again, this is good for you and it is good for the hearer and it is good for the glory of God. You get to share this news that God has put in your heart, this good news of great joy. They get to hear it. They get the opportunity to, to, to believe it. If they will repent and believe in this good news, they can have that peace. And all along, God gets glory. Glory to God in the highest. Share the good news. If you want to experience this peace, if you want to experience this good news, then share it. And finally, and last but not least, worship because of the good news. Worship because of the good news. Like, it's not just about, all about action. It's not all just about, well, I shared with 12 people this week. Well, congratulations. Do it from a heart of worship because of this good news. Because this good news means it's actually about the actions of Jesus. It's actually about what Jesus has done, not you. And so all of that should be done from a heart of worship that clings to Christ and Christ alone as your righteousness, as your life. So the, the shepherds, they got to go back to work. They can't stay in that, that, that uh, animal pen. They can't stay there by that manger. They can't stay there. They have to return to work. Verse 20, and the shepherds returned, but they were different glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. These men were out in the darkness and the glory of God comes, this messenger from God comes and they're filled with great fear. But because they believe in this good news, because they act on this good news, because they share this good news, they go home glorifying and praising God. The scene is so different. The scene is so different from the beginning to, to, to the end here. 
what began as fear and trepidation and trembling has become glorifying and praising God. Why? Because of this good news. For all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This good news of great joy. Worship God. Worship God for what he's done. Worship God. He is worthy of worship. Glory to God in the highest. Worship him. And in that process, you will receive that peace from God. This is the true Christmas story. This is what can change us from being like the Grinch to being a little more like Cindy Lou Who, who loves Jesus, which we tell our kids, by the way, that that's what happened. Um, that, you know, yeah, Cindy Lou Who, she loves Jesus, and that's why she's different. You know, um, <laughs> we, we can stop being robbers. We can stop being bullies. We can stop acting like rabid raccoons. Why? Because we get to glorify God. We've got this peace because there is good news of great joy. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for you reminding us of these profound truths, God. God, thank you that you remind us of our great problems so that we can see how great is the solution, how much more exceedingly and abundantly greater is the solution than our problem. And that solution is Christ the Lord, Jesus Christ into this world. And so God, I pray that you would help anyone in this room who has not yet believed in this good news to do so now. Let them not spend another moment your enemy, God. They can right now receive that peace. They can right now become someone who gives glory to you in the highest because of what Jesus accomplished in his birth, in his death, in his resurrection. Oh God, let them believe on you. God, for the rest of us, let us live, let us think, let us spend our lives as though this gospel is true, as though you have already secured our eternity, as though you are truly our giver of constant peace and protection and provision, and that highest provision is, is of yourself, that we can know you. That is eternal life, Jesus told us. And so God, help us to live in this life of glorifying you and having deep peace and hope and joy in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I do want to, I hope